0: This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works
1: Business Services.
0: and a pleasant good afternoon to everyone welcome to our program so happy that you're able to join us today uh, as always we always have some incredible guests to come on here and so um, we have another amazing person uh to join us here today and his name is matt halton
1: uh welcome to the show today Thank you, thank you, Keith. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Um, so please tell
1: us a little bit about you and who you are. Sure, so my name's Matthew Holton. Um, I'm the founder of a uh, group or organization called Moneyless Society, and I recently wrote a book uh, by the same topic. Um, I wrote the book essentially uh, because I had a lot of uh, difficulty in my life um, essentially getting the access to resources and things that I needed. Um, a little bit of a brief backstory on me. Um, you know, I had kind of a turbulent childhood. My mom committed suicide when I was a teenager, when I was 15 years old. And um, I ran away from home after that. I was gone for several months. I dropped out of school, um, bounced around with a lot of friends' houses, um, but I also, you know, left home at an early age, had a child at an early age, too. And um, I just I had a really tough time, you know, fitting in with the traditional model of, um, you know, just get a job and work a nine to five and everything's hunky dory. Uh, I ended up, you know, getting addicted to drugs and alcohol and other things. And that made uh, life a lot, really difficult in a lot of ways. But I also had a lot of uh, trouble getting the access uh, to resources that I needed um, in order to, you know, just help me get over my mother's death, for instance, and also, you know, some other traumatic incidents as a, a child. Um, but I ended up bouncing around from state to state, had a lot of different jobs, uh, had a lot of, uh, you know, just not so great experiences in my life trying to um, cope with the system and um, just how it kind of kicks people to the curb a lot of the time. Uh, so I ended up uh, forming an organization uh, called Moneyless Society. Uh heard about the concept essentially through a through a kind of similar organization called uh, the zeitgeist movement and the zeitgeist films actually um they they promote this concept of a resource-based economy and i saw that and uh, the resource-based economy is essentially a lot of the very very aligned with what we talk about just kind of eliminating the monetary system and using cooperation to give people the resources uh that they need as well as a good amount of like technology and automation just utilizing those things to the to the best extent of our abilities and um you know cooperating with uh, the highest good of everybody um in mind essentially and uh so that's that's essentially what the book is about it's about the uh the organization and uh just how it um, kind of came to be a little bit, as well as um, the directions that we're heading, uh, you know, in the longer term, especially with um, trying to create uh, some of these models for you know newer, shared socioeconomic uh, you know, type systems. Uh, in our essentially trying to do that in, within our modern economy, you know, and start creating a new model that people can see and that they can take part in that uh, They can live and, um, and, and start just actually, you know, kind of living a, a, a better way of life, essentially, that's more based on cooperation than, than competition, which is what our capitalist model is essentially based on right now.
0: Um, um, so when you talk about a moneyless society, what does that look like?
1: Well, it kind of uh, you know depends on exactly how far in the future we're talking about and how evolved uh, these systems um, really are, at, you know, at that time. So, I mean, the moneyless society that I talk about ideally in my book, you know, and and you know, generations into the future, um, is not exactly the same as something that we would likely experience, like transitioning to those sorts of systems within our lifetime um so the moneyless society you know that is actually kind of constructed and evolved into you know being a thing would rely heavily on um, automation and cooperation as well as more just essentially like user end participation and control it wouldn't be such a hierarchical model that we have now with you know a few people in control but Instead, we would use uh, systems and, and technology that would allow actual, the actual people who are consuming and using these products on the back end to make more decisions about, um, you know, how they're sourced, you know, how they're built, where they're built, what they're made of, uh, who gets what, how they're distributed, essentially. Um, and to kind of, you know, it's it's a transition process to create those kinds of systems as well, because we don't really have all the answers. We can kind of envision the larger picture for a lot of these things. But as far as um you know, them really being in their solidified state in the future, it's 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 exactly difficult to say, but we do know that we have models now. Uh, In the current world that we can kind of base these things off of one of the closest is the cooperative uh, model, essentially, and while people are still, you know, having normal jobs and getting paid and everything through cooperatives, um, there is more of a structure of equal democratic uh, ownership and management of the company. And, uh, and so those are the types of structures that we're trying to employ like in the short term, to to head. In the long-term direction of essentially making money obsolete through through the use of cooperatives, one of the, one of the main transition strategies we want to employ is trying to build a network of cooperatives. Um, and there already are lots of cooperatives in the world today that are you know already kind of networking together, like Mondragon, the largest uh, cooperative in the world, um, based in the Basque region. Uh, already, you know, they, they have a town with thousands of people that uh, work for this cooperative, they have their own university. Uh, when the economic crisis of 2008 and nine hit, uh, hardly anybody was laid off and they just shifted people around within the company uh, to where the workers were needed more, because it was more of a collective, uh, cooperative thing. Um also, the town of uh, Marinelda in Spain has been run, uh, you know, through the use of cooperatives and things like that. They technically have a, you know, a socialist or communist-leaning uh, mayor that. Um, runs things like this but they've been they've been doing it for 30 years and you know they know that these models work when people start cooperating more and essentially just giving people what they need when not so much based on exactly what they're contributing and what they're producing it's just essentially okay if you have a need it's going to be met um rojava region uh in syria is another Another good example of uh, a, a large kind of region that is actually employing the cooperative model uh, successfully to a large degree now. And um, you know, so cooperatives in the United States are kind of something that's not very well known or very much you know utilized very much at this point, um, but we would like that to change. We would really like to head in the direction of there being more uh, cooperatives, worker cooperatives in particular, where the workers actually own a uh, part of the company and, uh, they receive, uh, you know, like dividends and profits and things like that from the company, um, as, as opposed to some of the other types of cooperatives, where they're just kind of consumer cooperatives or producer cooperatives, where, where they still employ more of the owner slash, uh, you know, wage earner model. So, so there's a big difference there between kind of where we would start with these sorts of things and how they would eventually evolve. Eventually, we want to see them evolve to where these cooperatives work together. And through a series of cooperatives, you can start providing whatever these cooperatives are producing. The surplus of it goes to the members for free or to the workers or the owners of the company, however you want to you know structure it. So say you have an agricultural cooperative or some sort of cooperative that produces food, uh, what you could do is once you kind of have a surplus going where you're producing more than enough food to pay your bills and uh you know make sure everybody there is paid as well, then you start giving the food for free to the workers essentially or the members of the cooperative and you start doing that with cooperative after cooperative after cooperative, one takes care of say food another takes care of housing or clothing or electricity or even even education and things like that in the long term um and and eventually these these systems kind of network together to produce um what we'd call universal basic goods and services. And uh, so that's kind of the direction we're heading and and the long term with that. So people would essentially it wouldn't be so much of like a worker model where you clock into your job it's it's simply you contribute when and where you can and and in return the system kind of takes care of you as a whole. And uh and, and, and you're not forced to go out and work a daily job in order just to survive. That's the long-term end goal there is to be able to simply live your life, contribute when and where you please uh, to the overall system in general. And because the overall system in general works well, uh, we're incentivized to do that and to keep it going. And, and we pretty much get everything we need from you know, these systems working together whether it be food or water or clothing or shelter or housing or transportation or or whatever. So
0: is so, this model
1: that you talk about
0: is is there a distinction between uh what you said and the traditional economic uh systems such as capitalism socialism or communism?
1: Mhm. Well, I mean, it's definitely not communism in the sense that we know it today. I mean, technically, if you want to boil it down, it could be considered, you know, communism or socialism. But it's, it's really more of the idealized, long-term version of that society. It's certainly not, you know, the way China is being run right now. That's more, you know, state run capitalism essentially than anything or uh you know cuba we don't we don't essentially have a system that's working like this you know in the united states to you know to the fashion that you know that we envision in the long term essentially um we prefer not to you know use the words communism socialism a heck of a lot and we're kind of trying to distance ourselves from a little bit because there's such a stigma revolving just those two terms and um and I mean, oh. essentially in the long in, in the long term it is, you know, but on the other hand, we're just when we say communism, everybody's like, oh, we don't want to be China. You know, we don't want to be this authoritarian state like, you know, run with state run capitalism and everything like China is or, you know, uh, Venezuela or Cuba or some of these other examples. And um, we're like, no, that's that's not what we're talking about either, you know. So does that make sense, I guess? Yes, and
0: also too uh, in the United States, the word socialism is getting a bad, you know, rap as well. So when people think of socialism, you know, people saying, you know, you're giving stuff away, you're giving everything away. No one wants to work for whatever they need. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think that's what socialism is. Yeah,
1: I mean socialism technically is a very vast uh, thing that encompasses a lot of different definitions you know and so it's difficult to have a conversation about exactly what socialism is or isn't because it encompasses so many different things and there's so many different takes on it uh, and little nuances and different uh, you know essentially different offshoots of socialism also you know there's say there's like it's it's almost like religion like you have you know christianity or catholicism but then you have all these little branches of all these little offshoots of of it as well and and socialism's kind of the same way you know and and we could talk about all the different nuances of of each of these aspects of socialism and what they are what they not aren't and what they do and what they don't do and in reality we're we're not trying to get into the like the clinical definitions or the philosophical definitions of these things, you know, so much, we're really more concerned about the results that we get, you know, and um, we want to produce a system that gives people the result of universal basic goods and services through co cooperation, you know,
0: so You think people have, so you think people have been misinformed about, uh, the type of economic systems, you know, that we have, especially uh, socialism and communism.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, I think ill-informed is is probably not the correct word. I'd say under-informed. Really, they they've and and also ill-informed to a large degree because they've kind of listened to sources that have just talked about one version of that. You know, what I mean, and and those versions that we're seeing in the world today aren't. You know, I mean, you've heard probably. Probably lots of people have heard lots of people say it, but they're not quote unquote, you know, real socialism or real communism. And I mean, when you dive down into it, those those words and those definitions just encompass such a large Uh, idea or large, you know, group of ideas, you know, that it's difficult to, yeah, it's difficult to narrow it down and say, like, yeah, it was this, I mean, that, you know, McCarthyism and the Red Scare and everything in the 50s did a lot of damage, you know, to the reputation of, you know, socialism and communism and everything, but, you know, they still continue A a, a lot of people on the, uh, uh, you know, on the kind of conservative and right side of things, especially the media, continue to kind of demonize those things and just say, look at China, they're having a horrible time with this and that and the other and they're authoritarian and blah, blah, blah. And this is this is what communism is. And this is what communism does. Or, you know, um, Stalin and millions of people dying and and, uh, Mao and, you know, examples like this. And those examples just kind of get shoved down people's throats again and again and again. And I mean, yes, we, they are, you know, horrific examples of say authoritarian, uh, you know, communism and authoritarian, but that's, that's really kind of what more, what they're more relating these things to is, is a horribly gone wrong version of an authoritarian, um, you know, instances of these things and the, and the way that these systems really went wrong and kind of crumbled, Um but you know we also it's 80 90 100 years later now a lot of from a lot of these instances and we can look back on them and we can say well you know shouldn't have uh, you know tried to control millions of people and force them to you know go out in the fields and work and things like that and uh, there was a lot of a lot of mishaps and things that went wrong back then with with a lot of these systems that we could examine and say okay well we're not going to do that again and I, I think a lot of it has to do with autonomy as well and simply not being authoritarian and giving people their autonomy to contribute how they want and when they want, you know, I mean, that's in the United States, that's a big thing to a lot of people too. They call it, you know, liberty and freedom. And, um, that's not something that we want to ever take away from people that's that's one of the foundational principles of of all of this to us essentially is we keep our autonomy and we keep our liberty and freedom and things like that we choose how we want to live and how we want to contribute to society and and what we want to learn and what we want to believe and and so on and so forth and um and a lot of people i think they they equate communism with being told what to do, with being told how to act and what to learn and things like that. And that's and that's not synonymous with communism or socialism. Essentially, it's synonymous with authoritarianism, is what it is. And um, but it's not sino- synonymous with socialism or communism. And I think a lot of people have been, um, you know, kind of misinformed that they are essentially one and the same. And it's and it's not the case.
0: And do you believe that mainstream media? refuses or do not want to straighten this out
1: oh absolutely absolutely they're because they 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 know that they would be essentially giving people the tools to take back control of economic production and society for the most part i think you know um and the people that are in control are very afraid of that happening because they have a lot invested in, in these in these systems and structures, and they are very comfortable in their positions of power, and they don't want to give up those positions. They're afraid that they will just be another you know Joe Schmo on the street, and they won't have you know the luxury jets and the mansions and you know the things like that. And chances are they probably won't. So <laughs> you know, and, and, and but the but the thing is, is those models are unsustainable. We can't keep, we can't keep, uh, you know, just overshooting on all these resources, especially by just, you know, a, a very, very wealthy minority is, is really the people who consume the majority of the resources a lot of the time, um, especially uh, in the first world countries, but um, it's not a sustainable model and we're essentially, we're going to kill everybody and everything on the planet if we keep doing that so we also have a very strong incentive to change these ways. And I think a lot of people in positions of power are starting to wake up and see that too, that if they don't essentially, uh, you know, give up some of their wealth and some of their power and some of their say so that things are going to get pretty bad, you know, for society and for themselves, um, because it's, you know, it's not much fun sitting in your penthouse and just watching the world fall apart and watching the world burn. Also, and I think they're starting to kind of learn this the hard way, uh, sometimes. But um, you know, it'll be def- a tricky balance. Sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> and I definitely can agree with you on that. That there's a lot of topics that mainstream media would not even cover, or if they do, is is to it's not what we need to hear. Is is to misinform to. Miseducate, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and so that's why you have podcasts like this because we're not afraid to talk about these things. We exactly. might step on a few toes, but hey, <laughs> yeah.
1: You're and I cool do, things. I I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, and we've got to get the message out this out there like this more to show exactly why a lot of these systems are flawed and how they're flawed. You know, um, especially the mainstream media, because it's controlled by just such a, a few, you know, corporations with vested interests in keeping the control of those, you know, corporations and, and, and essentially making money. You know, a lot of it just comes down to the profit motive, uh, investing, you know, in things that are profitable again and again to make and keep reaping those profits and keep control of the systems and, you know, keep their private jets and mansions. And uh and they're very afraid of losing those things and so yeah that's why we kind of keep hearing the same narratives over and over again but we don't hear of these other successful models that actually are working in society and the truth about them a lot of the time they just kind of get buried and suppressed and um and if they ever do come to light usually they're they're ridiculed and demonized and um and even and even just straight up you know lied about they 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 tell You know they they withhold the truth and they tell lies. I'm you know I can't I can't. uh, I mean there's there's not a ton of a ton of instances where I've seen the mainstream media outright lie, but I know that I know that there's tactics that they use, you know to um to really turn people off of these ideas as well. So I mean I've I've seen those tactics. That's essentially what we were talking about. You know just
0: I, I I can honestly say that uh there has been some instances throughout history in which the mainstream media just flat out lied
1: right yeah exactly
0: there have been and i I just can't
1: think of too many times off the top of my head but i know definitely that there are
0: and sometimes you know they were you know cover-up stuff as well i was like well i Mm -hmm. mean a cover-up is just as you might was you know a cover-up is basically a lie because when you're not telling the whole truth you know, and nothing but the truth. That's a lie too.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. When you're omitting part, part of the truth, it's very relevant that people should hear about. I agree.
0: Uh, exactly. So, you know, for example, you know, we're not talking about uh, the fact that there is a growing global wealth gap. Let me share some, mm-hmm. uh, let me share a few tidbits uh, with the audience. So, for example, the Federal Reserve data indicates that as of fourth quarter 2021, the top 1% of households in the United States held 32.3% of the country's wealth, while the bottom 50% held only to 2.6%. Now, if you add that to the climate change, it's destabilizing many regions across the globe. Things they have to deal with, including wars and famine, disease, and civil disturbances. Your book, yeah. My, uh, The Mindless Society, um, has two main things that we're going to discuss here. The first one would be uh, the fact that you um, offer hope and steps that everyone can take to collectively uh, be in the right ship. Second of all, this book explores how capitalism thwarts Earth's capacity to maintain life and undermine our desire for peace and prosperity. And then finally, it illustrates how, with a new approach, not only our lives, but those future generations could improve upon. Um, in, In that order, can you discuss of those elements of your book
1: sure so i mean essentially the first part we were talking about is how how you know the profit mechanism uh you know thwarts our capacity to really live in harmony you know with our planet um and essentially we see that um like i briefly mentioned earlier about the uh you know the profit mechanism just acts as this incentive And it's a feedback loop for people to keep doing essentially what is most profitable. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of the time, what is most profitable is not the most equitable. And it's not the best for other people or the planet in general. And so we have these feedback loops where people keep making profits and people keep making profits and they make more and more profits. And every time they do this, they reinvest into systems that make more and more profits, essentially, because that's what they're be, being rewarded to do. People are rewarded, uh, you know, like a car company essentially is rewarded when they sell more cars, right? They're not essentially rewarded when they sell fewer cars and use fewer resources and and allow more people to travel in one vehicle at the same time, like say public mass transportation or things like that. You know, uh, I mean, if it were the car companies, they would, if it were up to them, they would probably have everybody on Earth own a vehicle or, or even three. And, and that would be very, very good for the car companies. But what it's not very good for is the planet that has to provide all of those resources for all of these vehicles. Uh, it's also, the fossil fuels that are burned. And, um, and it's not very good for the wealth gap that it creates as well. Which enriches the people at the top of those structures, and um, and usually the people that are manufacturing those things, or or the or the people that um, are just essentially kind of on the bottom of the totem pole, of the of the uh, you know the working class, are the ones that get the short end of the stick, because there's another feedback loop mechanism uh, where these corporations have to compete with one another, and through the mechanism of competition, they keep lowering their prices, right? for the same goods, they keep having to offer lower and lower and lower prices because they compete with one another, because that's what our system is based on. And once you negotiate the costs so low for energy and your resources, there's not much else left to negotiate on except for labor. And so it's the workers who are doing the labor that essentially get cut along with everything else, but they get cut. And that's through automation, it's through outsourcing of jobs to other countries um, It's through just layoffs in general. And and a lot of the time, that's how the wealth gap and especially uh, situations of extreme poverty are created. Uh, and take, for example, the uh, area known as the Rust Belt here in the United States. Um, Used to be a massive manufacturing hub 50 years ago, one of the largest manufacturing centers and regions in the world. Um, but now it's home to uh, mass unemployment and uh, just uh, essentially urban decay. A lot of people have moved away from these cities, a lot of factories have shut down, a lot of people have lost their jobs, and a lot of neighborhoods have just essentially become overridden with, you know, poverty and, and crime in a lot of these areas as, as a result of people losing their jobs and these regions essentially just going into decline. Um, and it's just one example of how that wealth gap is created. And, um, you know, and it's sad and it's a sad reality of it that does destabilize many people in many different regions, um, you know, for various, for various reasons and in many ways. Um, and so that's kind of what we see happening. We see the overuse of resources, just the never mind what it's doing to the planet or to other people. We're just going to keep extracting, you know these things and, and building these products to sell. And uh, you know never mind the inequality and the wealth gap that it creates. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse until, you know, it, it explodes, like a bomb, essentially, because there's going to be massive amounts of people that aren't going to get the resources that they need and they're going to create civil unrest. And we already see that happening in a lot of different uh, ways and uh, different regions. So that's that's but kind of the the problem. Go ahead, sorry, what?
0: If we give an example of that, uh, in 2008, I believe, uh, the federal government bailed out the auto industry uh, mm-hmm. during the recession. And then we had in, uh, during President Trump's administration that the uh, Congress had passed uh, tax cuts for the wealthy. Just put it, you know, that way. And that that basically that one percent, where the majority of the households did not see any benefit in these uh, tax cuts, and basically the ninety nine percent, you know, of us that are not wealthy, you know, ended up paying for those tax cuts which, in my opinion, have further uh, widened the wealth gap. Very yeah. unfortunate news uh, there. Um, we did enter a recession in 2007. You know, so instead of being economically, um, practicing what I call economic, uh, What's that word I'm looking for? Uh, equity Mm -hmm. the government decided they wanted to uh the government decided they wanted to bail out certain industries they wanted to they only catered to the one percent of households in the united states the Mm -hmm. ones wealthy and as a result you had lots of people that suffer and even in today's uh Economic situation we are dealing with what what the media calls mainstream media calls that we're we're in our inflation, mm-hmm. you know that prices you know keep rising. Uh, the cost of goods they say the cost of goods keeps rising, therefore we have to raise the price of goods and services. But at the same time, where people are not able to pay their bills and meet. Their needs because the wage, they're not, their wages are, are still the same. Right. Uh, they, they said that uh, there's no way in the world that a person, for example, who makes $7.25 an hour cannot even afford a one bedroom apartment today. You know, even a person that makes $15 an hour, if he was to double that today, I believe you still cannot afford a one-bedroom apartment. This, this, you know, just not possible. So the, the mainstream media is calling this inflation. Hmm. Uh, a lot of other people are saying that no, this is not inflation. This is pure greed. Look look at the oil companies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even before we you know, the cost of goods started to rise and the prices of goods and services, you know, have, you know, have risen. Oil companies was putting in record profits of millions of dollars before we even had this conversation about this so-called inflation, you know, in this country. And then it was at one point in time that um, during the recession that we had, a barrel of oil had dropped to minus $36 a barrel. Hmm. And that's when uh, the stocks went crazy. People would start buying oil stocks. Hmm. And eventually, eventually, you know, it recovered. But now we're seeing higher prices at the gas pump. You have certain states like Alabama, for example, on top of that. What the corporations are doing for in Alabama, we have a gas tax here, so you're adding more you're adding more to the problem, and people have to pay more in the pump in states like Alabama because you have that gas tax on top mm-hmm. of what the corporations are imposing, and they're saying well, the cost of goods is rising. Another example would be is that it would cost more for a person to own a home than it was five or 10 years ago because they're seeing that the price of materials have increased including lumber
1: yeah i don't i don't think they've increased that much i i think a lot of it simply has to do with you know supply and demand issues in a lot of areas and uh and when you get an industry that or a product you know that goes up in demand or down in supply then a lot of the time the price is going to uh you know change accordingly and and that's exactly what's happening with a lot of these industries obviously it's a supply and demand thing or it's or it's just simply uh that everybody else is raising the prices and so we are too like essentially like the the rent you know i mean it's it's kind of the same same boat a lot of uh I mean, there's no way that the cost of providing housing has, say, doubled or even tripled in the last, you know, uh, ten or fifteen years. But that's a lot. Of, that's essentially what's happened with, you know, the price of housing. There's uh, you know, there's houses that were going for, you know, a hundred thousand uh, dollars before the before the recession that are that are selling for 500000 dollars now. And there's no way that, that you know the price of manufacturing those homes has has increased that much. It's it's essentially just a uh, it's a supply and demand thing, and it's an over it's an oversupply of um, or well really an undersupply of affordable housing, um, but then too much kind of high end and luxury housing being built uh, to try to satisfy that luxury and, and higher end demand as well. And and this is also uh, known as gentrification in a lot of areas where where people come in and they renovate everything and they make it nice and new but they you know drive the price up two or three times the previous amount as well uh, because that's where all the profit is and before you know it you had a reasonably affordable neighborhood that may have not been the nicest neighborhood but hey at least you could afford to live there Um, but it becomes one of these you know kind of ritzy new gentrified neighborhoods and it Uh, becomes unaffordable for many people at the same time and that's what developers again are doing they're seeking this profit uh, mechanism you know that they come in they they invest in these properties they get their profits they go and do that again and again and again repeatedly and um, you know the process repeats itself and, and it happens all over the country in all kinds of different neighborhoods and all of a sudden now you have you know all these places that are just unaffordable to live and that's kind of the situation that we're in right now. And so um, basically, yeah. now mm-hmm.
0: the mainstream media
1: calls this
0: inflation. Are we are we truly are in an inflation, or is just uh, corporations trying to maximize their profits at the expense of people who cannot afford the goods and services that they're offering?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't have a heck of a lot of you know economic data to back it up, but I would suspect that it's more a- along the lines of corporations just trying to inflate their prices and take advantage of the situation, and and you know, say what you have gas companies, they all do that, and consumers don't have a choice. You know, the gas prices around the globe essentially go up, and uh, you know, all the uh, all the fuel manufacturing companies, all the gas companies, they're They're going to do that in tandem simply because that's the way industry works. You know, uh, when the supply goes down, demand goes up or things of that nature, they, they, they ride the wave and they collect as many profits as they can. I don't think there while there may be some inflation, I don't by any means believe that Inflation alone is to blame for the astronomical price hikes that we've seen across a lot of uh, commodities. It might be for some um, but but also I think there's I think there's a lot that has to do with um, essentially climate change and the economy starting to take a major hit, and some of these things too and you know when when you lose crops or when businesses fail you know due to economic pressures or disruptions or even climate uh instances like i think it was the um the uh, sriracha remember the sriracha uh, chili thing that happened not too long ago with there's a shortage of you know the red chili sauce that sriracha sauce i mean i think they essentially lost a big crop of these red jalapenos in china uh that may have been able to be contributed to climate change or just changing seasonal and weather patterns or too much rain or too little rain or something like that um and and that'll start to happen more and more with these things too and it's 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 hard to say that it's just one thing a lot of the time you know it's usually it's a combination of things and and complex systems like our economy and government and you know distribution of goods and commodities and things like that and so It can be for more than one reason you know and while inflation probably does play a role in it to a degree i doubt it's the main contributing factor in a lot of the price hikes we're seeing i think a lot of it is one corporate greed and them just riding the the supply and demand wave and two there a lot of the time there may be actual shortages of these things too just depending on what exactly it is that you're talking about you know like this whole egg shortage lately um, I think that's, has something to do with, you know, the avion bird flu or something like that. I haven't really looked too much into it, you know, but, um, I mean, heck, if you can get eggs in a supermarket right now, at least around where I live, you're pretty lucky, you know, and I don't really know if that's a climate change related thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more instances and situations like that in the near future, you know, regarding just, you know, numerous, numerous various aspects of our systems breaking down due to disruptions, uh, both economic and uh, ecological. It, it'll, it'll come at us from both ways, and that, those are only going to contribute to the uh, you know price hikes and the economic difficulties that we're experiencing. And um, you know until we kind of wise up and start building new systems and structures that don't rely on you know a lot of these kind of mass-produced um, you know models that we're using right now that that uh, you know, that can fail relatively easily. And that aren't uh, very reliable to uh when it comes to a shock to the system, then um we're just going to keep seeing these sorts of things and we've got to start building more local models that are more resilient uh, that take into uh, account you know climate change and changing seasonal and weather patterns and 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 really kind of do everything we can to combat those things on on a multi multifaceted, multi-front uh, basis you know because it's not just one thing it's 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 lots of things that are occurring at the same time and, and it's wise for us to acknowledge that that it usually is just more than one thing that's that's you know giving us the effects that we're seeing in the systems right now you know
0: so this is exactly what i'm talking about here in terms of the mainstream media where everything that you're talking about is not being it's not being talked about. In mainstream media, everything that you hear in terms of the economy, they say they pointed to inflation, but they're not giving account all the other factors, you know, that you have mentioned. It's the same thing I, I mentioned earlier. They're not telling the people the whole truth. They're not getting people you know, all of the facts. Again, I said earlier, it's just as bad as if you're telling a lie.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: And people fall for it because, you know, they figure, well, that's the only source that we have. And I was like, well, no, that's not the only source that you have. You know, in fact, podcasting has become probably the most rapid, advanced media outlet that, that you're going to have because in the podcasting world, we're not afraid to shoot out the facts. We're going to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no matter what toes that we're stepping on, because we believe that this is the type of information that people need to have. And if you cannot get it in, you know, mainstream media, then perhaps y'all, y'all need to turn off the news. because they're not being totally accurate you know with you they're not being factual and in some cases they're flat out lying to you in in order to uphold some sort of agenda that's going to be devastating to both you and I right and so in writing this book why was it important for you to write this book what's the motivation behind it? And what do you hope to accomplish? Sure. What's the message?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I mean, really, the purpose is is twofold. One, uh, to help people uh, get the get the access to the resources and the things that they need on uh, on a daily basis, you know, just for life and survival and to thrive, you know, in their homes and their communities and things like that. Um, and also to do everything that we can uh, to fight and mitigate the effects of climate change and the really the, almost the imminent climate breakdown that we're likely facing in the coming decades, uh, which is pretty scary and I think the effects of it are are uh, under um, underexplained and underestimated a lot of the time by by the mainstream media while there is you know some alarmism here and there i i wouldn't really call it that much of the time uh i think a lot of the scientists have kind of toned down their findings a lot to make them a little bit more acceptable uh to to the mainstream media and to the uh, you know public in general because they don't want to sound alarmist uh, from the actual results that they have found um and it's scary you know i i i'm I'm concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to my son and and my family in the future. And, uh, you know, but I'm also just concerned for humanity in general. You know, I I do these things both from a, uh, you know, selfish nature and a nature of wanting to just, you know, contribute and help humanity. Uh, overcome these problems, and a lot of the solutions that we talk about in the book and as an organization i mean I'm not the only person who's uh you know seen and learned these things i've you know learned them from many other sources um but they're not very well known you know they're it's it's these solutions aren't broadcasted uh you know to the degree and the scope that they really need to be for people to Uh, kind of learn about them and especially to uh, start adopting them in their own lives and communities and i think that's uh that's the that's the trick and that's the um that's the tough thing that needs to happen that a lot of people kind of need to realize that there is a lot of stuff that we can do in our own lives in our own communities especially as communities and especially through cooperation and that's that's a tough pill i think for a lot of people to swallow because American culture in general seems to be a very individualistic kind of, you know, rugged individualism culture that we have here where people are like, oh, I'm I'm independent and I can stand on my own and I don't need anybody. Um, when in reality that's that's not the case. <laughs> you know, we need each other. We need to work together and when we do work together, we can cooperate uh, and create far more than we can by working together than we can individually. Um, but getting people to work together is the tough part. And, uh, you know, it's something that I still struggle with in my own personal life on a daily basis. And it's not, it's it's much easier said than done, uh, especially in the kind of, you know, individualized, you know, capitalist culture that, you know, we've created and that people are very used to. So, it's probably going to be a long and painful transition process for many people to start working together more often and and really start to create these systems and structures, but either we do that willingly and intentionally or the rug is going to be pulled out from under us in a lot of cases, and it's not going to be a pleasant experience for a lot of people in a lot of different uh times and situations uh you know just for whatever reasons may unfold. Um, So, But the more we can work together and cooperate, you know, and and follow these systems of creating cooperatives that produce goods and services locally, um, also just eliminating unnecessary labor, unnecessary activity that uses, you know, resources that just don't need to be used a lot of the time. Um, especially in just like commuting to jobs that don't really contribute much of anything to the system that's kind of one thing where where our book is headed a lot is just like hey you know if you can produce something locally close to you and you don't need to commute 45 minutes away to you know keep some job just to keep the wheel spinning on everything hey that's you know 45 minutes of fossil fuels that your car you know didn't burn and um and that every little bit makes a difference, you know, creating unnecessary or just eliminating that unnecessary travel or that unnecessary commute or that unnecessary labor or resource use, uh, you know, that isn't that isn't necessary for us to actually survive and thrive. You know, if you can walk down your street and create a cooperative uh, community garden that feeds everybody in your block or everybody in your neighborhood, you know, then you may have just eliminated a decent amount of uh really just jobs and activity that had to happen to support a good amount of people there, you know, and that those are kind of the systems and structures we're talking about is, do things locally within your neighborhood, with your neighbors. And and it starts by just kind of realizing that, hey, we can't do all this alone. Maybe I should talk to my neighbor about that empty building or that empty piece of land and see if we could maybe create an agriculture cooperative or mycology, growing mushrooms or something like that, or maybe, you know, making clothing or 3D printed houses or who knows, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but those are the kind of solutions that we're presenting you know as an organization and in the book uh, to try to educate people on that they do exist that these cooperative systems you know can be formed um, but they also they don't form themselves it takes people to go out there and start working together uh, and talking to each other and coming up with solutions and and meeting on a regular basis in order to do that Uh, you know, and just and essentially doing that, you know, it, it takes work and effort and time and cooperation. And and a lot of the time, just kind of swallowing your ego, <laughs> because it's difficult to work with other people a lot of the time. And, and you got to kind of, you know, step back and be be willing to compromise and, you know, be a little bit vulnerable and admit when you're wrong sometimes. And a lot of people kind of have a tough time with that. But the more we can do that, you know, the more we can, create these cooperative systems within our communities, our homes, our, our neighborhoods, and, you know, just the, the systems that provide our, our everyday goods and services and things like that, the more resilient they'll be. And, you know, the less of effect they're going to have on our, you know, climate crisis, the more they'll mitigate that crisis and, um, and the more equitable things will, things will probably turn out in the long run. Also, as long as we do it with that sort of, you know, purpose and structure and mind so those are the, those are the types of solutions that we really um you know push and try to educate people on and that we're trying to form as well you know easier said than done uh, but but as a, or a group and an organization we're really trying to head that direction ourselves uh you know in the long term we we do plan on creating cooperatives and hopefully communities and things like that although it's it's a long road ahead and uh, we're just in the very very beginning stages of of really trying to do you know anything like that so
0: well, does this coincide with the term cooperative economics? I know I talk about that a lot. mm-hmm, you know, everything that you mentioned, I is kind of an example of what I believe cooperative economics. You know, is yeah. all of
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, cooperatives is. Yeah, I mean, a co- as far as I understand, a cooperative economic based society is, is one that would be run, you know, on more of a cooperative basis using the systems and structures that we're talking about, especially, especially worker cooperatives, worker cooperatives are the big one, where the workers actually own part of the company because there's lots of different types of co-ops so you call them cooperatives co-ops same thing and um you have like you know credit unions or a type of co-op essentially you have like mutual insurance companies those are another type of like mutually owned company by the policyholders you have uh consumer cooperatives um or agricultural cooperatives producer cooperatives like land of lakes butter or like the ocean spray people um but a lot of those models still employ um, the regular owner slash worker slash employee you know, uh, model to where the employees don't actually own part of the company. Um, the big one where really, that really gets some people involved and that really seems to make a difference is when the workers actually own part of the company and, and are given part of that decision-making control and processes. And, um, and those are the ones that we really want to push. Uh, because because that's the most equitable model, essentially, where where the workers actually do own part of the company, they do receive, you know, part of the profits that are generated. And um, and they are able to participate in the decision making process uh, for those for those companies. And uh, and it helps companies run better and smoother, essentially, when. When the workers are able to say how they want things structured, you know, and what works and what doesn't work. A lot of the time, a lot, a lot of these corporate structures come from the top down and, uh, and the workers on the bottom simply have to follow the protocols and they don't really get much of a say. But when you give a workers a chance to write those protocols or alter them or, or decide exactly what is done and how it's done and when it's done and give them the autonomy to do it, a lot of the time you end up getting better results because you're actually dealing with the people that have to do the work and that they know the nuances of the job. They know what works and what doesn't work. And they know how to structure things the best because they're the ones that are mired in the trenches doing it all day long. And, um, and so you find that a lot of the companies actually end up running better when you give the workers the autonomy to do that and the, and the, and the power essentially. And, um, and not only that, but they're more invested in the company because they see part of the profits. And so, and so they end up working harder and working for the company more enthusiastically you know, because because they're not just essentially being exploited. And um, and that's the model we really want to employ and encourage other people to employ uh, all over the place. That, that model can be can be utilized in small companies for just a few people, or it can be utilized in, you know, massive companies like Mondragon, the largest cooperative in the world has, I think, you know, over a 70 or 100 different companies under underneath. It's, uh, you know, as subsidiaries. And uh, I think they employ like about 80,000 people around the world. So I mean, these can be massive structures uh, that employ many, many people. And, and they're also a a powerhouse, I believe in the solar module uh, production uh, industry as well. So I mean, you can have some pretty, some pretty technical products coming out of cooperatives as well. So it's it's a really fascinating industry and a fascinating way to uh, an effective way to run businesses and uh, I think the economy in general. And and I think the shift uh, just people really need to learn about that first and foremost. And and why why it's so important for us to start adopting more models like that, uh, you know, for for all the reasons that exist, you know, whether it be equity or or even just uh, you know, ecological and sustainability purposes as well.
0: If someone was to adopt this model, how can people get involved or they want to be involved in what you are doing?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, creating cooperatives isn't the easiest thing, just like starting any business is not the easiest thing. Um If you want to create a cooperative, there's a lot of good resources online in order to do that. There's one PDF that I really like that you can find for free online. Uh, It's a book uh, titled Think Outside the Boss, B-O-S-S. Instead of Think Outside the Box, it's Think Outside the Boss. And uh, that's a free PDF that you can find online. It's a really good resource for anybody uh, that's looking to create a cooperative. Uh, it's a good place to start because they have a lot of good information about, you know, the different types of cooperatives and how they run and the processes that you need to kind of go through in order to form those co-ops. Um, even if you don't form a co-op right off the bat, you can make a business that is based on those models, essentially, too, because the actual cooperative business structure is a corporation. Um, it does take a decent amount of um, kind of corporate, you know, finagling in order to make the whole thing work essentially. There are, you know, monthly meetings that need to be held and you need to keep minutes of of those, you know, board meetings and things of that nature and so there's a whole, you know, processes and structures there that you need to follow as a corporation uh, that you don't need to follow as a normal business. Um or is it just like say a sole proprietorship or, you know, partnership or something like that. Um, but you can structure partnerships and you know regular businesses in in more of a fashion of a cooperative too, just simply by choice, even if they technically aren 't cooperatives uh, you can just consciously choose you know to have you know more distributed decision-making with your employees and distribute those profits more equitably and things like that. And also give, you know, employees, you know, say a a vested uh, interest in the company at a certain point and uh, things like that, which many businesses do, do those things uh, that aren't cooperatives. And there's varying degrees, you know, depending on the business and what practices like that, that they employ. Um, so that's an int- a really cool way to just start going, but especially if you're a business owner and you're interested in adopting uh, more of these types of models, it's very, uh, you know, it's very reasonable for a lot of these business models to consider uh, moving over to an employee owned uh, business model, especially if the employees are interested in say purchasing the company or, you know, finding ways to do that, um, which there are creative ways to do that as well. So um you know if 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 you if you are an employee or a business owner and and considering that uh, there's definitely routes to go along with that. Um, our organization, in particular, we're we're not a cooperative. We're a five, we're a nonprofit, five hundred one c three at this time. Uh, but we do want to start forming cooperatives. We do want to start forming communities and things like that. We're we're planning on utilizing these structures, um, in the not too distant future, uh, here in the United States, uh, to form, you know, both cooperative businesses. And, uh, you know, communities were, like I said, we're really in the very beginning stages that most of what we do right now really just kind of revolves around getting the message out there. We're more of just kind of a, uh, a platform to educate people about these t- topics right now. We have the book, we have the podcast, um, we have our social media channels and things like that. So that's where most of our focus is right now. But in the long term, uh, we do want to shift over to creating some of these models and, um and and kind of being a demonstration for them as well. We would really love to create a few cooperatives and then say create, you know, some educational videos about how to do that as well and, and help other people do do uh you know do do the same thing essentially. Um, but yeah, if, if you're if you're interested in helping us also you can go to our website. There's a form to fill out for volunteers. Uh, just go to the moneylesssociety.com website. Uh, there's a little link on the front page there that says contribute. And uh, under that contribute thing, there's a um, a link to click on for a, for a form to fill out for uh, anybody who's interested in volunteering uh, with our organization. Um, you can also check out the book, too. There's a lot of information in the book, uh, which is why I essentially wrote it, because this is a vast topic that affects a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different facets and aspects to it. And, uh, the book essentially kind of puts it all into one place. you know there's it's 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 kind of difficult to get the big picture uh, by listening to a single conversation because there's so many different aspects of this topic, you know, from technology to energy, to cooperation, to you know, climate change, uh, biodiversity loss, and lots of other things. And uh, the book is a really good source that just kind of bundles it all into one, you know, relatively, easily digestible package and um, so if you're interested in learning more I would highly recommend picking up the book uh, Moneyless Society The Next Economic Evolution or and and visiting our website and checking out uh, more of our podcast as well the Moneyless Society podcast um, and just kind of educating yourself on all these topics essentially because it is a it is a vast uh, field that literally affects everything else uh, in creating new socioeconomic structures is you know a, a huge you know all encompassing task as well you know it's essentially trying to create a new systems for way of life and um and that's not something that's going to happen overnight and it's certainly not something that we have all the answers to as well it's it's going to be an evolving dynamic process that happens over you know throughout many different communities and with many different people and uh and and it's a process that will you know learn and evolve and grow over time so it's going to be lots of different solutions for lots of different people and lots of different places at you know lots of different times and and uh and from problems that we're solving or whatever and so yeah it's 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 interesting <laughs> and it's it's there's a lot there's a lot going on there for sure sorry if i just kind of went off on a tangent there with all that
0: oh that's that's okay uh we we definitely <laughs> definitely want you to uh, spill that knowledge. That that's what it's all about. Uh, mentioning and thank you. Uh, putting out the right information. And we're gonna get ready to close here. You already mentioned how people would be able to find you, so I don't have to ask that question. But before we close. It is a tradition here at the Led broadcast section to give our guests of all of our podcasts an opportunity to mention the last word before we close. So I'm extending that same opportunity to you. What is your last word to the audience?
1: Well, thanks, I appreciate that. Um, the last word is I, essentially there's, if if you're feeling like, it's too big of a problem with climate change and inequality and just everything that is mounting in society, you know, with all of the, uh, you know, just pain and disruption and and depression and everybody that everything is feeling, know that there are solutions out there. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of them that we talk about that we list in the book. And But a lot of it just starts with you know, reaching out to the people around you, and doing a little bit of research, and 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 kind of putting those two things together. You know, like what what do we need here? What could help us here in our own community? Um, you know, and trying to trying to do and create things locally. You know, and uh, and also just kind of reach out and develop relationships. The more you can reach out to people in your local community and your local. Uh, you know, neighborhood, household, family members, businesses, even online and stuff like that. You know, uh, online community of people you know, or or groups of you know people with similar interests and things like that. There's a lot of different ways that people can work together uh, to start creating these systems and structures, and the sky is the limit, really, as far as what we want to create and and how we want to create it. Yeah, and um. It's going to take a lot of creative minds and creative people to to do that as well, because we have to step outside the normal box of just going and getting a regular job and then, you know, spending the rest of our waking hours between social media and our phones and Netflix in order for this to happen. You know, we have to actually... Uh, you know, put those things down and go create these systems and structures. Or if we're using those, then we need to use them in in wise ways that, you know, actually start to create these networks and, uh, you know, cooperate with our neighbors and develop these relationships and start talking about these things as actual possibilities because the only way they're going to happen is is by, you know, people taking action. And uh, if we don't take action, then nothing's going to change. But if we do, you know, take it as a sign that hey we need to do something our, ourselves in our own life just realize that there is a lot that we can do and um you know, deciding to do it is is the first major step and then just figuring out the way is, is step number two so i think that's about all i got
0: <laughs> and it has certainly been a very informative session ladies and gentlemen show us some love to Matt Holden, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Uh, We really appreciate the knowledge that you had dropped, you know, on us. It's definitely something to think about. I really appreciate you being on the show today.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure. Look forward to speaking again sometime.
0: And yes, we uh, definitely would like to have an update in the future about uh, some of the things that... uh, you're doing and um give us more insight on our economic structures how's the the whole cooperative economic things going we definitely would like to have updates on that in the future so we hope to have you on a future show uh this year sometime
1: that'd be great yeah we'd love to update you and keep you informed and uh yeah if anybody has any questions or anything uh wants to reach out um, yeah, feel free to email. Oh, I was going to say email us also contact at moneylesssociety.com is a good way to get in touch with us. Uh, if anybody is interested, uh, you know, in kind of working with us in that regard as well. So anyway. <laughs> thank yeah, thank we'll... you
0: so much for that. And uh, we're going to end here. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. I'm Keith Williams, your host. Hope you have a great weekend.
1: jungle. jungle.
0: Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is a presentation of OBS News, which is responsible for the guests and comments. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.